football season is just around the corner, and MyBookie is the best place to bet football this season. They have easier deposits, faster payouts, and the best customer service. MyBookie is simply the most accurate and trusted source for odds information, analysis, and wagering opportunities on the internet. So what are you waiting for? Head on over to MyBookie.ag to open and fund your MyBookie account today and start winning with the best. Now on to the show. Infirmary Media. People engage in stuff for dueling decades. The Matrix and Blade versus Bloodsport and Renegade. Strap on that cap, bust out the power glove. Come fight for what you love. Dueling decades. Who your popping pins, dropping hand grenades. Van Halen locked in Mortal Kombat with David Gray. Found out ballet and sick. I am made of GNR. Come fight for what you love. Dueling decades. Broadcasting from the new Infirmary Media Studios. It's the adult-only retro game show where the 80s and 90s do battle because it's your history. We just fight for it. Welcome back to Dueling Decades. This week, we dip into the suggestion inbox to pull out a topic that has been requested by several of our listeners and Facebook group members. A return to some retro wrestling. So this week, duelers, we booked our very own pay-per-views made up of our favorite matches from 1997. I am Mark James, and alongside us here is my teammate on the Mamelukes and current Dueling Decades champion, it's Man Crush. What is up? And one of the things you brought up there, and I want to talk about our Facebook group before we go any further, because there's a lot of people that I think listen to the episodes, and we talk about trivia, and they go to our feed, and they see the audio trivia on there, and they're probably like, what the fuck is this? So let's talk about it real quick, what it is that we do. All right, so every day on our Facebook page, everyone's got Facebook stories. Every day we have a Facebook story that has a picture trivia on it. And it's real simple. You just click on the button to message us, tell us what the answer is. It's usually five or 10 points, and that goes on the leaderboard. Leaderboard's huge now. There's like 500 people on the leaderboard. Every time you get points, it gets updated on that leaderboard. Now, the culminations, people are like, what? the fuck is the culmination <laughs> so let me explain what the culmination is and we actually made a little uh diagram picture that i think explains it pretty well that we posted in our facebook group but we'll just talk about it here real quick so on mondays and tuesdays on mondays you'll get a facebook trivia picture on tuesdays you'll get a facebook trivia picture but then also on tuesday what you see in our feed is you'll see the audio trivia question so what the culmination is you take Monday's and Tuesday's picture and the audio trivia put them together and you got to figure out what the overarching theme is to that right once the audio trivia is released we let people answer the culmination trivia which is worth 50 points and those are the big dogs that get it you move up into the green zone which we'll talk about on another episode uh, but the green zones are top 30 and you'll see it you just got to play uh, if you do it a couple times you'll get hooked on it and some of the people that send us messages the other night, Eric, who judged our last episode, he actually got the culmination and moved himself, propelled himself back into first place, uh, was sending me drunk messages all night on Wednesday night while I was sleeping with the answer. Wanted to know why I was not replying to him. <laughs> I sleep, motherfucker. That's why I was not replying to you. And I know he's listening. That's why I dropped that on him. But 
do check that out. Go over to our Facebook. I know this is a little long-winded, but facebook.com forward slash dueling decades. You'll see the story up there every day. And you're already listening to the podcast, so the audio trivia is on the feed already. That's right. So just just do it and play. And then join the group. Join the private group because a lot more interaction goes in there. You guys can post in there. You can give us suggestions like we did with this episode that we're doing now. I can't wait to do this episode. I thought it was a great idea because we haven't done wrestling since like March. Yeah. Yeah. We've had so many people in the group that post a wrestling topic and it always comes back. Hey, you guys need to do another wrestling episode. So we really thought it was about time to do it because we're really at like a cornerstone of the wrestling industry right now. Things are about to pop off and get exciting again. So it's kind of got me thinking about the good old days of wrestling. So we wanted to start off in 1997. Such an interesting year for wrestling. It really is because, and I thought about this a lot as we were going through this. I watched as a kid through the 80s, through the early 90s. So we had Hulk Hogan, I was a huge fan of. Then they tried to give us the Warrior, which I thought was great too at the time. But then they put the strap on the Warrior and then it, it just didn't work. And then after that, it just got weird. Like it was 1992. I'm a freshman in high school. Do I really want to be watching shit with like Repo Men and fucking <laughs> Psycho Sid? Like it was just weird. So I gave up for a while for a couple of years from like 92. And then I didn't pick it back up until 97. And the basically basic reason I picked that back up was ECW. Yeah, That's how I initially came back in. And then, of course, you know, they had the whole Attitude Era and everything, Austin blowing up and all the shit. So it got huge right at that point. But then years later, like right after that, I think like 2002, for me, it faded again. And I didn't start watching it again until uh, December of last year. And now I'm fucking knee deep again. So here we are. And it's pretty much the same story as as me. You know, I grew up watching my favorite WrestleMania of all time, WrestleMania 4, and then 5, 6, you know, Hogan, Warrior, you got the Mega Powers in there with Savage. Such a great time for wrestling. And then, like you said, and then we moved into occupational wrestling, where every wrestler had an occupational gimmick. And it was atrocious. So you know, you had, oh, look, there's the uh, the banker wrestling the clown and the garbage man wrestling the, the hockey dentist. player. And, yeah. So much like you, I checked out at that point and I didn't check back in for a few years. And when I did, it was with WCW. I never went back to WWE, WWF until they purchased WCW. Yeah, you were one of those. I, I tried. There were matches that I wanted to see, and you'll see that when I, we go through the list here. But there was never, I was never sold on the whole thing. Yeah. Because to me, it was just a bunch of old WWF guys that moved over to WCW and they were just wrestling under a different moniker. So, yeah. It's interesting. And I think we'll go through it as we start this. Uh, but basically, what we did is we, uh, we wrapped up seven matches. We picked seven matches from random pay per views from that year and we put them into one pay-per-view so before we get started what is the name of your pay-per-view from 1997 all right there was going to be a wrestling show and i saw the name of it this is the one i would definitely want to go to so the name of my show is wrestle stock a palooza 97 lots of weed will be smoked <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> oh man as you're wearing a tie-dye shirt <laughs> 
<laughs> Go figure. Hey, I even t- I even tossed around the idea of possibly doing it in an outdoor amphitheater like Alpine Valley up in Wisconsin or the Gorge. Recently, you've starting to see a few wrestling shows. AEW did it not too long ago where they had a show in an amphitheater. I really like the look yeah. of that. So maybe we'll do Russell Stockapalooza in a nice big outdoor amphitheater. That way the smoke can Very dissipate. Cool. Mine's completely opposite of that. I went with Blood and Guts 97. Nice. <laughs> uh, basically, uh, something that Vince McMahon just brought up. Uh, we have a new federation that's coming up now, AEW All Elite Wrestling. And he made a comment that they're never going to work on TV because they're all blood and guts. Well, I just did this to remind Vince that he also built his name on blood and guts in the 90s. Yep. Not just him, but I mean, that's how that uh, that whole attitude era kind of went. So that's where I went with this. And you'll see a lot of my matches follow that theme. And if I had to play this one, dude, this would be done gritty style, just like ECW. It probably would have been at some outdoor fucking racetrack or some <laughs> shit like that. Like, just dirty. Bingo hall, man. It's got to be a bingo hall. That, too. It would work. All right. So let's go to our opening matches. Man Crush, what is the opening match for your pay-per-view? So I figured with mine, I wanted to get off to a hot start. So I went with a six-man tag match, and this uh, it originated April 13th, 1997 at ECW Barely Legal, which actually happens to be my 19th birthday. Wow. Uh, and yeah, this thing is crazy because I wanted to see this. I remember the buildup. Uh, I just got back into this. A friend of mine was all about ECW, and he was like, oh, there's pay-per-view coming up on that Sunday. My girlfriend bought Bush tickets, and instead of seeing this, we went to see Bush and Veruca Salt oh, on no. April 13th, 1997 at the Meadowlands, or actually at the time it was uh, Continental Airlines Arena, um, which is, doesn't exist anymore, but I didn't get to see it until like a month later, and I had this thing all queued up. Of course, there was no DVRs back then, so you had to queue it up on the uh, VCR, but I had a black box, yep. the black quote-unquote black box, but it was only in one room in my house. And my dad was not watching that shit, so it didn't get recorded. So I didn't see it for a month. But when I saw it, this shit blew me away. Uh, so this six-man tag, we had the great, and I'm going to butcher some of these names because they're Japanese, but the great Suzaki, Gran Hamada, Masato Yoshida, uh, Takamishinuku versus Takamishinuku, uh, Terry Boy, and Dick Togo. And the the coolest part about this is as soon as Takamishinuku, Terry Boy, and Dick Togo come out, they're all in the blue world order. So it's goofy from the get-go. They're wearing like the cutoff shirts, the BWO shirts. But basically, ECW wanted to fill their card up. So they got these guys from Mishinuku Pro and they put on this six-man tag. And it's probably one of the most cutting-edge matches of the 90s. Yeah. It's so fast that it, it will blow your mind some of the spots that these guys do. There's only 1,100 people in attendance at barely legal and not a person sat that entire show not only because they were scared for their lives because people were going to come into the crowd or toss <laughs> a chair at them but because the action was non-stop the the maneuvers that these guys were doing this match were crazy i watched it again last night it's nuts and uh all my shows or all my matches are actually on the network so if you have wwe network you can queue these up and watch them like as i put them out if you want but definitely started out with this one. It's maybe like a 15-minute match, 
but it's nonstop 15 minutes. It's not like when you watch wrestling today, especially WWE, the pace is so slow. AEW, the pace is much faster. The pace of this match puts both of those to shame. It's ridiculously fast. I don't know how these ratings go with these guys rating matches, but if I had to rate a match to start a pay-per-view, this is a 10, man. It's it's high-flying. Uh, the Mishinuka Pro guys do not disappoint. Check this one out. All right. Can't go wrong with that, man. And much like your opening match, I also went with a tag match with Japanese guys. I went with the Steiner brothers taking on Masahiro Chono and the Great Muda at Bash at the Beach 1997. This match was a proving grounds match for the Steiner brothers. If they won this match, they then could go on to uh, face the Outsiders at the next pay-per-view Road Wild. And of course, they go ahead and they beat the Great Muda and Masahiro Chono. Really good match. It's really solid. You know, it's back and forth. There's a lot of nice spots in it. You know, Muda does his handspring double backflip elbow. Uh, Muda does a Frankensteiner on Steiner, which is cool. And then Steiner gives him one later in the match. The only thing that's kind of a letdown for me with this one was the ending. And that's going to be a theme overall with my matches. They're all great matches, except for the ending. There's always a schmaz end or just something just screwed up at the end. So at the end of this one, Masahiro Chono's distracting the referee. So the referee does not notice that his own tag team partner, the great Muda, is getting double teamed by the Steiner brothers. Uh, who wouldn't want that? Referee turns around just in time to make the three count. So, I mean, yeah, kind of a screwy finish, but overall, a solid match with a bunch of legends. I am a huge Great Muda fan, and, uh, you know, when he teams up with Chono against the Steiner brothers, can't go wrong with that. Great way to open a card. Yeah, that's a good one, and since you're dropping spoilers, I wasn't going to say who won or lost, but I guess I might as well. I mean, his shit was uh, 22 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> in my match, even though uh, Takami Shinuku and uh, Terry Boyd and Dick Togo were winning the entire match, uh, I think it was Great Suzuki uh, who pins Takami Shinuku like right at the end. So yeah. a little bit of an, an upset. Well, it wasn't really an upset, but that's how that one rolled. All right. What'd you have for your second match? All right. So I went with something you would like. I went with WCW. All right. This one was uh, Sunday, June 15th, 1997, uh, WCW, the Great American, uh, he just called it American, the Great American Bash. This was Randy Savage versus Diamond Dallas Page in a Falls Count Anywhere match. Oh, this is a terrific, terrific match. Oh, man. It's um, one of the reasons I wanted to watch this in 97 was I was a big Randy Savage fan with WWF way back in the day. And then, of course, he left. He Just the way he got kicked out of WWF and went to WCW always kind of sucked. But when he went to WCW, he never really did anything. You know, he was always like a background guy, a supporting guy. He was never the guy, at least that I knew of, until this match. Back when he first arrived and Hogan arrived in WCW and he was still doing the Hulkamania thing in WCW... Savage had a little bit of a run there, but yeah, in the later years, he it was pick and choose. If you got to work a program with Randy Savage, you were something special. And this 
this was a really big honor for DDP to work such a big program with him. Right. And this was the main event of that yeah. pay-per-view. This match was bizarre because not only did, are the two dead, speaking of uh, Randy and Elizabeth, but they were divorced for like five years when this match occurred. Yeah. But she, you know, she's back as Randy's arm candy again. And one of the weird spots that I watched last night, as they're walking out of the dressing room before the match, it's extremely awkward looking. And then on the flip side, you have DDP and Kimberly, and who are also divorced now, but they looked like the total opposite. They looked like a couple should look. And Randy and uh, Elizabeth, it was just weird looking. But anyhow, like onto the match. I didn't watch WCW all that often, but I got into it because of that whole thing. And I had the black box, so I was like, I'll just watch it for this one match. And it's vintage Randy, but evil. Yeah. Like, to the utmost degree. Um, I don't know if you remember this match, like, in detail, but there's a spot where Randy hits the ref with a pile driver, and I swear to God he broke his neck. (laughs) It's the stiffest fucking pile driver. And this is to a dude that's a non-wrestler. And it was just like, wow, they're really going for it in this match. But then right after that, he does the, like the government issued Randy elbow drop from the top rope. Yep. And some fucking dude who looks like Kenny Powers comes running out to ref the match. I don't know who that is because I didn't watch WCW uh, at the time. That's got to be WCW head official Nick Patrick. Oh, my God. Dude. <laughs> he looks like fucking Danny McBride to the T. Yeah. Yeah, he totally does. Uh, but anyhow, so he runs in there, and um, DDP comes to, hits him with a diamond cutter, one, two, three, and he ends up beating Randy. But the cool story about this whole thing, I heard this story that DDP told uh, about how you know it was such a big deal that, like you were saying, that Randy put him over on his 41st birthday, which was like the day before this match. And this is the story that he, he was talking about. Uh, So basically in 1997, around Thanksgiving time, DDP is now a headliner in WCW. This, you know, fast forward, what, like a couple months later, and he wants to call Randy to thank him on Thanksgiving. So he calls him up, he gets his answering machine and goes, hey, Randy, you know, I I know you're probably going to think this is a little corny, but I I just want to tell you that without you, I'm I'm, I'm never at this spot in my life. So I want you to know for what it's worth, I really appreciate it. And I hope you have a great Thanksgiving. So for whatever happens, weeks go by. He forgets all about this thing. And then they're at a TV taping. And he hears, Diamond. I can't. I do the worst fucking Randy <laughs> Savage impression. Diamond, come here. And he said, uh, like, he's just fucking intense behind the scenes as he is in the ring. And he's like, oh, shit. Like, what's going on? Like, what I do? And he goes, hey, man, I got your message. And I got to tell you, I played it for my dad. And he said, did you ever get a message like this from one of the boys? And his dad said, Randy, I never heard of anyone getting a message like that from anybody. And then Randy <laughs> said to him, I just want you to know it meant everything to me. And then he gave him like a big bear hug. Wow. So that's the end of my my shitty fucking Randy impression. But that's fucking huge. Not only did Randy put him over on his 41st birthday, but then this just gesture they came out and like a side of Randy that you didn't see, especially during that time when they had Randy as like a, a, a woman beater. Yeah. He was like slapping, <laughs> slapping chicks and stuff. 
fucking craziness in 1997. But anyhow, what do you have? All right. Well, if we're going with awkward and uncomfortable, this has got to be my second match as well. And that is from Spring Stampede 1997. Chris Benoit versus Dean Malenko. Benoit, of course, comes down to the ring with woman. Uh, Nancy Benoit, his his wife. Ooh. Yeah. So, yeah, we're not going to get into all the details about all the drama with that. But this match, fantastic. Benoit, Malenko go back and forth in just a classic wrestling match, just like you'd expect from Benoit and Malenko. Where this one goes to hell is in the end, because you get a run-in finish by not one Mm. person, not two, but you get like five run-ins, because what ends up happening is Jacqueline runs down to get into it with woman, and then Jimmy Hart runs down, and he ends up taking the title, and he runs back. Then Eddie Guerrero comes down, and his arm's in a sling. He stops Jimmy Hart, (laughs) and then Arn Anderson comes out. Arn Anderson then grabs Dean Malenko, slams him into the mat, sets them all up for, of course, four horsemen Chris Benoit to finish it. But then who comes down? Kevin fucking Sullivan. Nancy Benoit's ex-husband hits Benoit on the back of the head with a kendo stick, lays him out. What the fuck? See, that... That's my problem with WCW and why I never really got into it is because they did way too many stupid ass run ins like that. Just let the match play out. That's kind of like my overall theme that I'm noticing is there is just quality wrestling, but horrible booking. That's what WCW was. You always got impressed by the athleticism and the great wrestling and then let down by the bullshit around it. So. Well, that's the same thing that happened in the match I just talked about. Exactly. I didn't mention it, but after that was over, the NWO comes out. Like, fucking everybody in the NWO. I don't even know how many of them came down and uh, ends up. What was the dude's name that looked like uh, Kenny Powers? Nick Patrick. Yeah, he gets, like, power bombed <laughs> by Kevin Nash. <laughs> and it's uh. just, it's craziness. And then Savage starts beating up on... Uh, Kimberly or trying to it's just way stupid they could have just ended it and been fine but of course in WWE's WCW style they had to go and fucking ruin it yep all right let's move on to our third matchups here on our own respected pay-per-view cards what do you got for yours man all right so this one's interesting because it's actually match four and five on mine so are you shitting me man (laughs) <laughs> because uh, the way I have my card set up, I was almost going to chime in and be like, hey, why don't we pair up the next two? Because my next two picks go perfectly together. So that is friggin' weird, man. That's eerie. It, well, mind flows. I mean, it just you had to have one with the other one. So this is, again, going back to April 13th, 1997. We're talking about ECW barely legal in front of a crowd of 1,100. We get Terry Funk. Stevie Richards of the Blue World Order, once again, representing, and the Sandman in a three-way dance for the number one contenders match for the championship. Yeah. The match hasn't even begun yet. Let me just paint this picture for you. You got Sandman has already smoked an entire fucking cigarette. He's (laughs) down to Budweiser. Make that two Budweiser's at this point. Smashed both cans into his forehead repeatedly until he's bleeding like a stuffed pig. 
all the while in the ring you have the BWO and Stevie Richards are hanging out with like cut off t-shirts and Daisy Dukes. Amazing television, to put it lightly, right there. Then lo and behold, you got the Funkster headed out to the ring, who at the time is like close to 60 years old. I'm not even shitting. He's he's 75 now, so figure out, do the math. He had to be like, what, 57 or something like that at yeah, the time? Yeah, that's nuts. So they get him to the ring. Sandman offers him a beer. Terry declines it. So Sandman takes his third beer and pounds it down. And when I say that Sandman pounded beers down, not like Stone Cold kind of like gets it all over himself. Sandman dumps the entire fucking beer can (laughs) directly into his fucking mouth and drinks it. But in this case, he gets it all in his mouth and then spits it right in Stevie Richards' face. So now there's beer all over the fucking ring. And then again, smashes the can into his forehead. Amazing shit. More blood everywhere. Uh, but this is like where I got into hardcore matches and ECW. Uh, just watching this first pay-per-view. It took place on my 19th birthday, like I said before. I, man, I wish I didn't go to that Bush concert and I saw this live because <laughs> it's it's incredible to watch. And well, like one of the great things about the Sandman, you honestly cannot tell if this dude is hurt, drunk, or it's just a work. You you have no idea. And as sloppy as he, as he seems, he's incredible to watch. Terry used a, like a barbed wire whip, and he's beating that on uh, on Sandman's back. Wow. I, I mean, a, there's a lot of crazy fucking spots. There's like ladders. And let me tell you, there is no mats around the ring in ECW. It's concrete floor. I went to like three different ECW matches, concrete. There's no mat. So when these guys go out on the outside... If you see them slip on TV, it's because that shit's real concrete and it it's loud and it hurts. And watching this on the pay-per-view, it's incredible that these guys did not die with some of the shit that they were pulling. And you could tell they missed some spots because ladders slipped yeah. and shit on the outside of the ring. N- nutty shit. But anyhow, like back to the match, Terry ends up winning uh, via moonsault on Sandman. And um, right after the match is over. Raven storms the ring, and here's my match number four. They're not going to another pay-per-view for this championship match. It's happening now. Bloody-ass mess Terry Funk. He's bleeding all over the place. Raven storms the ring because now Terry is the number one contender for the belt, and he just hammers the shit out of Terry for like, like four or five minutes. Tommy Dreamer's up in the announcing booth. And they have this little spot up there with him, and uh, it was one of the Dudleys. I forgot which one it was. He used to hang out with Raven, and he choke slams him off the top. It's a really shitty choke slam, but he choke slams him onto the top of tables. He ends up coming to the ring, hitting Raven with a DDT, and Terry ends up rolling him up. Not on the first try, but on the second try, he does pin him right there, and Terry becomes the champion of the ECW, and he is bleeding. He is the bloodiest fucking mess, man. Blood is pouring out of this dude's head like nothing I've ever seen before. It's an incredible match. It should be like a main event match, but since it's Terry Funk and like, you know, I don't know if this is for everybody because I think when we talk to some people, like when we talk to uh, Dino Peppers, yeah, this is not his type of wrestling. The high-flying stuff, he's all about real wrestling. So I can understand how some people don't see this as real wrestling. But in my eyes, I think it's fucking great. I think you need to mix it up. 
And at the time when this happened, you needed that mix up. And that's what got people into it. And man, incredible fucking match. Three way. Uh, go go check this out. ECW barely legal. Terry Funk, Stevie Richards, and the Sandman in a three way dance, followed by the championship match. And I think that championship match is like five minutes long. So wow, nuts. That's incredible, man. And for a lot of the same reasons, you picked yours. I picked mine because it was something new and fresh. And yes, both of these matches go very well together. So because they both feature one of the same wrestlers. It's the only time on this pay-per-view that I made here that features the same wrestler twice. Oh, you got some double dip. In I, that? I did. I had to double dip with the Ultimo Dragon. Oh, all right. Well, he could do two matches in one night. Right. So the first one, Bash at the Beach 97, Chris Jericho. Nice. Versus the Ultimo Dragon. Go back and watch this one. Classic match, really back and forth the whole time. They kind of do this these great spots where they're mirroring each other, whether it's, you know, a couple, a missed drop kick, a kip up where they're mirroring each other back and forth. There is a few blown spots by Ultimo dragon where he ends up slipping a few times, but that's so minor really in my eyes, even back then I knew Chris Jericho was something special. He was one of my favorite wrestlers. He was a white guy from Canada who could go with all of the Mexican Lucha Libre wrestlers, the Japanese guys. I mean, he could go in the ring with anybody. You, you know, you'd see him in the ring with, like, Psychosis one week, and then the next week he's wrestling Hugh Morris, and it's a totally different style. So I thought that right. was kind of cool. Uh, so that's my first one. My second one was Ultimo Dragon versus Rey Mysterio Jr. Spring Stampede 1997. You can't go wrong with this match. One of the biggest spots of it is the Ultimo Dragon kicks Ray out of the midair, mid lion salt with a drop kick. In midair, Ultimo Dragon drop kicks him in the gut in midair. Fantastic spot. He takes a Ray takes a huge bump. He had already taken a huge bump earlier in the match uh, when he had fallen to the outside and kind of landed on the back of his neck. You know how you were saying ECW, no mats, all concrete. WCW had mats, but if you land in the area between the mat and the ring, unfortunately, that's where Rey Mysterio's neck went. Yeah, so go back, check out both of those matches. I had to put both of those on my card because at the time, this is the style of wrestling I was into. Ultimo Dragon, Chris Jericho, Rey Mysterio. You had all the other guys that are populating the cruiserweight division. Maybe we'll hear some of those names later. Uh, but yeah, those are my next two matches. On to one thing you said before we move on, like a, a couple things, actually. One, the mats that WCW used, they were like the those fucking gym mats that we had in elementary school. Yeah. Those ones that they, we brought out for uh, for gymnastics day or some shit like that. Like, they are not great mats no. at all, especially no. back then, like 22 and years ago. And they slid around. Like, they weren't. It's not like it is now where there's mat all the way up until underneath the ring. Right. You had about a foot between the ring and the mat where it was still. Yeah, it's concrete. And the other thing you were saying with like all the messed up spots, I kind of let that go for that time period because they were doing such crazy shit that we don't see now. Right. Same well, here. We don't see yeah. as many of those like mess ups anymore because they're not taking they are doing like some high flying shit or whatever. But the stuff that they were doing then it's reckless abandon compared to what you see now. Absolutely. It's a lot safer. Yeah. 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 The botches really never bothered me. 
if anything, it really showed you how difficult this shit really was. So some people always knock them and take points or stars away for rating the matches. In my eyes, it just shows the degree of difficulty for some of these moves. For sure. And that moves on to my next match, which is our fifth match in the card. I got Eddie Guerrero versus Rey Mysterio for the cruiserweight title. But this one is a mask versus title match. Oh, I love this match, man. And this happened at Halloween Havoc 97. This is, you talk about some missed spots. There's some missed spots in this one, but they come off so authentic. Because like you said, it just looks like, wow. Because when he puts it together and you see some of the shit that he does, especially Rey Mysterio, it's incredible. But anyhow, like you start the match out, Mysterio comes out. He looks like a fucking reincarnation of Billy Zane from the movie The Phantom. Yes. He's wearing like this purple singlet outfit that's actually connected to his mask. So it just can't get ripped off. Yep. And then uh, you got Eddie strolling out with his I don't give a fuck about anything gimmick, <laughs> which was classic back in the day. People hated his guts, but he was the cruiserweight champion at the time. Uh, but what I loved about this match, there's no feeling out period in this match. Like the first match that I had in this card, it's lightning in a bottle from the moment the bell sounds. Ray's flying all over the ring, reckless abandon, like I said before. And what I like about the Eddie side of it, Eddie can do that as well, but Eddie uses his power in this yeah, to just like lay some stiff shots on Ray to just kind of make this like a David versus Goliath match, even though like in height, he's not that much taller than Ray is, but he is fucking massive yeah. in body size and he uses that in this match. And another great spot is like Ray's mask is like dangling off his face it, the entire match, like there's one point where uh, Eddie like rips it open. Yeah, he rips the so, eye like, hole open. It. Yeah, he rips the eye hole open. So this whole sequence, it reminds you that uh, like from Spider-Man where Peter Parker has half his mask ripped off. Yes. Yeah. It's incredible. I, at one point, his mask is getting torn and the look in his eyes is just like utter despair because this is their livelihood with those masks. Like there's guys, there's guys that lost their mask like uh, Conan and a couple other guys who got better afterwards. But for these Mexican wrestlers, if they lose their mask, they lose their mystique. And a lot of them, they're, they're done after that. So this is like a huge fucking deal. And I think at the time, this was like his second or third mask match. But man, dude, you, you talk about cringeworthy moments. There's so many in this match. Even watching it 22 years later, you hold your breath in some of the spots yeah. because like, damn, he's going to break his neck. But they hit so many of these. Oh, man. He does like a, a springboard backflip into a DDT. And there's a, a front flip uh, Hurricane Rana he does on the outside of the ring. Dude, the techniques. Like, you don't even see shit like that today. No. It's incredible. And that's the thing, man. You go back and watch some of these older matches. And, you know, you had the cruiserweights in uh, WCW or the light heavyweights in WWE or some of these smaller guys that were just doing things in the ring that were just so incredible. But you know, the guys winning the titles and making the big bucks and getting the headlining spots, it was, you know, kick, punch, big boot, leg drop, <laughs> collect your yep. million dollars and go home. Well, in the eighties that worked. Yeah. You know, when we were kids that worked big time, but as you got older, and I think that's what happened with the WWF in the early 90s, is they didn't grow up with us. Right. And I think that, you know, 
95, 96, and then 97, where we are for this episode. This is where I think we really started to see that change in the industry, where people were kind of getting sick of kick, punch, body slam. They wanted something more energetic. And I think this is where that tide started to change, where people wanted a more energetic, athletic style of wrestling. ECW picked up on it. Then WCW picked up on it. And then the WWE is soon right, as, and we're know, not saying it yeah. wasn't around because it was around. They were doing it in New Japan. Oh yeah, they were doing it in AAA, but just in from what we watched on TV in America, we were not seeing exactly it. right American style wrestling. Like we said in the very beginning of this episode, this is based on what we were watching at the time. For me, it was all WCW at the time. You know what was crazy, and I don't think this happened in '97. If it did, I would have put it on this list. And I'm not even sure it was on a pay-per-view, but ECW had a Dean Malenko-Eddie Guerrero match. Yeah, I know which one you're talking that's about. fucking incredible. Straight wrestling match. It's not hardcore. It's not extreme. It's just a straight wrestling match, and it's beautiful. It's probably one of the best wrestling matches ever. I'm not sure what year it was. might have been 96 even. Might have been. I'm not sure. I haven't watched that one in a while. That's a fantastic match, though. That's a good one to pick up, but that's not in this, so we won't go there. All right, so my next match, my fifth match here on my card on Palooza 97 is Eddie Guerrero versus Six in a ladder match for the uh, United States title at Sold Out 1997. Oh, actually, before you even go there, uh, on mine... <laughs> Rey Mysterio won, did not lose his mask, got the cruiserweight title. Sorry, go ahead. Spoiler. (laughs) Yeah, so this one's for the United States Championship, Eddie Guerrero versus Six in a ladder match. Now, if you've never watched Sold Out, you're in for a treat because this is a pay-per-view that was on purpose a complete disaster. Eric Bischoff wanted to do everything completely opposite and present the show completely different. Had to have a a different look and a feel. So if you weren't a member of the NWO, you didn't get entrance music. You just walked out to the ring. No music. And then they had the NWO announcer doing all the ring announcements. And he'd just throw in random insults. So when Eddie Guerrero comes out to the ring, one, they call him the Mexican bean counter. (laughs) <laughs> and then the the, the uh, NWO announcer guy over the PA system throughout the whole match would just go, loser, <laughs> throughout the whole thing. And it's hilarious. And of six, of course, a member of the NWO. So he gets, he gets the NWO full treatment with the big entrance and the pyro, the lights, the NWO music. And then we get a treat of a ladder match. And there's lots of callbacks to the Razor Ramon Shawn Michaels ladder match because Great at match. the time, of course, uh, Scott Hall in WCW. So they keep referencing on the commentary team about how Six has spent a lot of time talking about ladder matches with Scott Hall and he's taught him, you know, all the tricks of the, the match, which is complete total bullshit because Scott Hall is not the founder of the ladder match. It had been done many, many times in other promotions. So they play on that in the match, and they actually try to replicate the spot where Sean kind of gets up in the corner and he rides the ladder down on top of uh, Razor. But they put a twist on it, and he pushes the ladder out of the way. Eddie uh, drop kicks him off the top rope. 
one of the best spots in the whole match is at the very end. Remember how six X-Pac, whatever you want to call him. One, two, three, kid. One, two, three, kid. Yeah. His, one of his signature moves is this uh, jumping back heel kick. It's kind of his signature yeah. move. He does that to Eddie Guerrero from when they're both on top of the fucking ladder. Oh, shit. Yeah, Eddie's on one side and uh, Six is on the other side. Eddie, he just takes it in the chest and falls back and lands on his feet. Six, who did the move, the bump he takes off the top of that ladder to himself is just incredible. But yeah, go back and watch this one. Six versus Eddie Guerrero sold out 1997, and it's a ladder match. God, I got to see that. Was that where they started to lose in the ratings it sold out? Or are they still winning in the ratings? This is a slide. Uh, it's around the time of the slide. This is sold out as uh, whether you started to see a lot of cracks in the, uh, the NWO armor. Oh, boy. I got to check that out. I have to go back because, like I said, I didn't really watch many of the full cards of WCW, just matches. Yeah. But I think that one sounds unique. I would definitely watch it. Oh, just it for, it's um, a total shit show. There's entire segments dedicated to uh, like a beauty pageant. Think of what a housewife in 1997 from South Dakota, who is also a biker, would look like. And then do a beauty pageant on a pay-per-view about wrestling. And then interview them on a live mic. Oh, boy. That must have been awesome. Like it, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll check that one out. <laughs> I'll cue that. It sounds like a shit show and a half. All right. So I had a hard time on this one. Because this, I would say with mine, I have two matches left, as you do. But I would almost consider this a co-main event. I almost put this as the main event, but I didn't. I changed it only for uh, for one reason. There's no well, either one of my main events. There's no championship involved, but this is a co-main event nonetheless. Uh, so we're going Sunday, March twenty third, nineteen ninety seven, WrestleMania thirteen, Bret Hart versus Steve Austin, submissions only. Ooh, wow, can't argue with that match. No, this is the pinnacle. I'd say for both guys, because you watch this match, and I've heard other people say this is the best match in WrestleMania history. I've read a bunch of shit about this. I think there are some flaws with the match, but when you know the story behind everything and how it was all kind of put together and the shit that both of these guys had gone through to get to this point to elevate themselves to the top of the company, it just puts this match over even more than what it really was. But, you know, first things first, you got Ken Shamrock is a guest referee. And this dude, this is 1997. So he's just coming off UFC and he is fucking huge. This dude's arms are fucking enormous. They have him in, it almost looks like his referee jersey is painted on him. I know I said that to you earlier today. Yeah. If you go back and find a picture of this, it's so fucking ridiculously tight, and he's got no sleeves. And this dude's arms are bigger than both Brett and fucking Steve Austin. Like, just in fucking huge. And then I also have to mention, when I rewatch this, take a look at the entrance tunnel from WrestleMania 13. It looks awfully familiar. It looks a lot like the new uh, AEW tunnel. Yeah, yeah. That I've they come out that. to. But like I said, widely considered as one of the greatest matches in WrestleMania history. I think it's the best match of both of their careers because you never really got to see Austin lose like this. You never got to see him humanized. 
you rarely ever got to see Austin wrestle like that. I mean, right. Austin was always known as being, you know, a brawler, you know, a, a mud hole stomper. But when you put him in the ring with somebody like Bret Hart or Kurt Angle, he could chain wrestle with the best of them. Oh, he could wrestle like a motherfucker. I mean, his problem was he got hurt later that year. Exactly. And then after that, you know, he really couldn't do as much as he did back then. Even his body style. You look at his body there and you look at it like a year or two later. I mean, he's like kind of ripped in this match. Yeah. But yeah, it's a it's great. It's from the get go. The bell sounds and fucking Brett takes off after him. And the great story about this is like going into the match. Austin's obviously like the heel and you got Brett as the baby face and it almost changes halfway through the match and the crowd starts cheering for Austin over Brett. And then, you know, of course, Brett goes like heel towards the end and it, but it's like a double turn in this match. It's, it's crazy because you've never seen anything like that because Austin is your rule breaker. He's, he's the guy that does shit like that. And now it's Brett doing all this shit in the match and then you got, like I said before, a humanized Austin because he's in the sharpshooter, bleeding like stuffed pig, and he ends up just passing out from pain and losing the match. But the, the greatest part, I think, to the, this whole thing is even after Brett leaves, the crowd's still cheering for Austin as he comes to in the ring. This just cements what a great anti-hero he was. A ref comes out to like help him. And he stands up and stuns the fucking guy for no <laughs> no reason at all. Just like, and everyone's going nuts. Like they're not booing him or nothing. And that is the moment that I think that everyone flipped the switch and was like, "Oh shit, this guy is going to be the guy." You know, it just sucked because this is like the outs for Brett too. Because towards the end of the year, he's gone. Yeah. And like the whole story with the, you know, the contract that he got from WCW and, uh, you know, McMahon kept him in by giving him like some crazy 20 year, $20 million contract, like a million dollars a year, but then couldn't pay him and told him to just go to WCW and kind of ruins this whole thing because this whole heel run that Brett had for the next like six, seven months after this is fucking great. It's probably like his best stretch in his career. And it just went to shit, but the match itself, I, I'm not going to go too in depth on it. Just go watch it if you haven't already, but I know a lot of people have. And of course, at the end, like I said, Bret Hart wins via sharpshooter. All right. So my first, uh, I guess we'll call this a semifinals or co-main event. I guess you could say is going to be the 1997 war games match that was held at the fall brawl. On September 14th, 1997, at the Lawrence Joel Veterans Memorial Coliseum in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. If you watched WCW at the time, everything was leading towards this match. It was NWO versus the Four Horsemen. You had to pick a side. Were you Horsemen? Were you NWO? So in the match, you had Buff Bagwell, Kevin Nash, Six, and Conan versus the Four Horsemen. Chris Benoit, Steve McMichael, Ric Flair and Kurt Henning. Kurt Henning had recently joined the Four Horsemen as the brand new enforcer. Yes, Arn Anderson, because all of his neck injuries, had to step down, and they brought in Kurt Henning, who I was a huge fan of from his WWF days as Mr. Perfect, all-time one of my favorite wrestlers. So you're telling me now Kurt Henning is going to go to WCW 
and join the four fucking horsemen with Ric Flair and Chris Benoit, two of my other favorite wrestlers. This is fantastic. So I couldn't be more excited for this. All the storylines led to this moment. There's no Sting anywhere to be seen. Sting still wouldn't wrestle for a few more months. Uh, He didn't wrestle till December when he wrestled his one match in 1997 versus Hulk Hogan. So we get the NWO versus the Four Horsemen. And what ends up happening is Kurt Henning enters the match last for the Four Horsemen because he has a shoulder injury. The whole time, Kurt Henning is banged up. The brand new enforcer for the Horsemen. So he finally comes in and come to find out it was all a ruse. He had handcuffs in the arm sling the whole time, but not for the four horsemen. He had flip sides and Kurt Henning had joined the NWO. So the NWO now with a huge advantage teams up on the four horsemen. They handcuff uh, McMichael, Benoit and Flair to the cage, beat them to a pulp. Until finally, they uh, Steve McMichael gives up and says, no more, no more, just let us go. And then they take Ric Flair's head and slam it in the cage door. <laughs> nice. Yeah, and I watched that. I think it was a legit bump. He really took that shot. So, yeah, another match on my pay-per-view card that ends in a total fucking schmoz ending. Horrible ending. Decent match. Good story. Good buildup. They really could have done something with this one, man. I love the War Games matches. So, yeah, I had to go with this one. You know, that's one of the things that sucks about wrestling now compared to then. Yeah. The twists and turns that we had from, you know, that whole Attitude Era, you actually had those face heel turns and they meant something. Now, who gives a fuck when it happens? It's the same shit every week and they never have a good flip like they did back then. And I never even seen that match that you're talking about because, again, I wasn't a big WCW person, but that sounds intriguing. I'd watch that. Again, a lot of those guys, you're not going to get uh, any hurt. There's no Hurricane Ranas. You know, no one's doing a moonsault off the top of the cage. Right. That's all story. It's all story. Beat them up. You know, get two on one. Gang up on this guy. Progress some storylines forward. Good old school wrestling. All right, so here's my main event. Main event of the evening, Sunday, October 5th, 1997, WWF, In Your House, Bad Blood, Shawn Michaels versus The Undertaker, Hell in a Cell. Yeah, arguably one of the best matches that WWF did that entire year. God, it's amazing. And one of the things I think a lot of people forget is this is a number one contenders match. Which leads to, and this is the only reason I put this as the main event, and I know you're going to hate this, but this leads to the Montreal Screwjob. Yeah, man. And that's the thing. You know, a lot of this goes back, and a lot of people are going to be like, oh, man, you all you watched was WCW. Why didn't you watch WWF back then? And I did. But, you know, I hate fucking Shawn Michaels. I hate him. <laughs> I've hated him since he was in the Rockers. I can't stand him. He's one of those guys. You know, we watch football, okay? You got teams in football that you absolutely cannot stand. Patriots. But you love to watch them because you know they're going to give you a good fight and it's going to be a fun, interesting game every time. They're not just going to roll over and die. So wrestling is like that. I can't stand Shawn Michaels, but I love it when my guys wrestle up against Shawn Michaels because it's going to be a quality match and he's going to bring the best out of the opponent. So I loved it when it was Brett and Shawn. 
I was always a Brett guy. Come on, it's the Canadian heritage. The the screw job, everything for that, that soured me so bad on wrestling for a while. Well, this led to it, though, and I think it gets overshadowed by the fact that this match was so enormous because this is your first ever Hell in a Cell. And, you know, it goes without saying, usually, like, the first is the best. And, indeed, I'd say this is the best of them. There are some other good ones, too. Usually had The Undertaker in it. Shit, there's even some with Triple H that are fucking phenomenal. Uh, But this one, it starts out slow, but before you know it, the violence is fucking off the chain. After HBK hits the cameraman, and then they're forced to open the door to get the cameraman out, yeah. And this thing goes outside the cage and they get to the top of the cage because this is the first time we saw this. This right. We've had steel cages, but we never had a cage with a top on it that's like, what, 20, 30 feet high? The guys are wrestling on top of the cage. The entire time you're uh, these guys are up there, you're holding your breath. So what do you call it? Uh, HBK gets out. Undertaker goes after him. He goes straight to the top of the cage. Of course, Undertaker takes off right to the top of the cage, too. And he freaking slams him into the cage, I don't know, like five or six times before uh, he's he got HBK dangling off the side and he kicks both of his hands. HBK goes into the table. He's full of blood. And then, you know, they get him back in the ring. The, the worst part about this match, though, if I had to take anything away, this is if uh, I don't know. Is this rated a five star? It should be. If if it's yeah, not, I don't it know if be. it is. I mean, it's, it should be though. It's great. It's a great match. But if they took any points away, it would be the fact that Vince McMahon is calling this match, and it's an absolute oh, shit show. God, it's so bad. Just you have to like just tune him out and just listen to the crowd roaring and don't pay attention to him because. He's just bumbling over his words and just saying dumb shit about blood and blah, blah. Just shut the fuck up. Vince McMahon's commentary is one of the reasons I did not, could not, and would not watch the WWF product. Ugh. Everything was, oh my God, oh, oh, or, <laughs> oh, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> he had two things he could do, and they were both annoying as fuck. And he's got JR and Jerry Lawler next to him, and he's just taking all the mic time yeah it's horrible horrible (laughs) and then where it gets really cringeworthy is when kane comes out yes so you get the debut of kane and all you hear for like a minute straight that must be kane (laughs) that has to be kane who else would it be you fucking idiot they'd still do the same shit they spoon feed you the story so bad. It's like, ugh. it's like we get it. It's not the fucking one, two, three kid coming down. Right. It's a fucking dude who's just as big as the Undertaker, who's coming out with flames all over the place. Like, obviously, it's fucking Kane, man. Shut the fuck up. So anyhow, Kane rips the fucking door off the cage. <laughs> and the great, if you watch this match, they spend so much time in camera work showing Earl Hebner lock the cage door to show how strong it is. And Kane just comes up and grabs the door, rips it off the hinges, comes in, ends up tombstoning, spoiler, The Undertaker, and then taking Shawn Michaels and draping him over the top for the one, two, three, and making Shawn Michaels the new number one contender for the title. And it all leads up one more month 
then you have it the montreal screw job but yeah this match it's incredible though yeah. it's it's a good probably like half hour match and the entire time you're interested yeah and you know people always talk about the uh undertaker mankind hell in a cell match as the best hell in a cell but was it though i mean that really wasn't much of a match there's a couple of huge spots but if you're talking quality matches this Shawn michaels one way more of a quality match than the uh than the other one well that's why i threw some of the triple h ones in yeah there because i think the triple h ones had a little bit more story behind it right then uh yeah that one match with uh mankind and undertaker fucking insane bumps yeah but i mean talk about match wise this is it this is the best hell in the cell had to offer right here all right so i'm gonna go to my main event and it's a match i really never got to see until recently and that is bret hart versus terry funk on september 11th 1997 down in amarillo texas yes this is the match they were talking about if you watch the movie beyond the mat which when that came out Man, that opened my eyes to wrestling. I always knew wrestling was fake. Sorry, guys. Yes, it's fake. But uh, I always knew that, you know, it was predetermined. I have family members that worked in the wrestling industry up in Canada way back in the day. So I knew the, the tricks of the trade. So it wasn't anything new watching Beyond the Mat. But what I liked is seeing the other side to some of my favorite wrestlers. You know, you got to see another side of Terry Funk jake roberts even yeah good old vince mcmahon and jr you got to see a totally different side of them one of the matches featured that they talk about throughout beyond the mat is going to be terry funk's retirement match versus bret hart <laughs> retirement match yeah <laughs> retirement match yeah he's still not retired and this was 1997 <laughs> and he was he was 55 then so oh he was 55 okay i said almost <laughs> 60 before but okay yeah, God bless Terry Funk, man. That guy's just, he's hes going to go until he just can't go anymore. And this match is, it's quality. You cannot go wrong. Bret Hart, Terry Funk, believe it or not, they had never wrestled a one-on-one -on -one match. So this was a big deal. If you watch Beyond the Mat, you knew the other big controversy about it was who was going to referee Brett versus Terry. Was it going to be longtime friend of Terry Funk, Dennis Stamp, who had been training in his underwear on his trampoline with his weights? <laughs> yeah, he really wanted to referee this match and, of course, got the opportunity to do so. It's a traditional wrestling match. They just they go all out, man. It's old school wrestling. Then they throw a little bit of hardcore in there, a little bit of submission style wrestling. They kind of do it all. It's a nice long match to kind of try to wrap up Terry Funk's career. Even does a nice little table bump in there. So, yeah, that's my main event. That's just a legendary match. Bret Hart versus Terry Funk. And it is the match that was featured in the movie Beyond the Mat. You don't actually get to see the match in it, but you see everything leading up to the match. That's why I'd never seen the match. I had always wanted to. Never, could, never got a chance to. That's a great pick, though, man. Anything with Terry Funk is amazing even when he was like chainsaw charlie the shit in japan yeah that that dude's a legend man fu university yep he's a legend he can wrestle with anybody he can put out a good match with anybody you know he knows how to work a crowd and uh you know at the end of the day he's gonna put his body on the line for your entertainment what more can you ask for as a wrestling fan and stallone will throw him through a glass door true but only on the good days <laughs> All right, so that's what we had for both of our pay-per-views. 
Mine, of course, Wrestlestockapalooza, 97 to recap. Opener, Rick and Scott Steiner taking on Masahiro Chono in the Great Muda from Bash at the Beach, 97. And then we moved on to Benoit Malenko at Spring Stampede. Rey Mysterio Jr. in the Ultimo Dragon. And then another Ultimo Dragon match with Ultimo Dragon and Chris Jericho from WCW's Bash at the Beach. And then we moved on to the Eddie Guerrero versus Six ladder match from Sold Out 1997. And my two headlining acts, of course, were War Games 97 and then the Bret Hart versus Terry Funk match. All right, Man Crush, recap yours. All right, we had Blood and Guts 97, beginning with the ECW barely legal pay-per-view, the six-man tag of the great Suzaki Gran Hermada. Masato, I know, still don't know how to say it, versus Takamishinuku, Terry Boy, and Dick Togo. And then we followed that one up with 1997 WCW, The Great American Bash, Randy Savage versus DDP, False Count Anywhere. Then we went to uh, the double back-to-back match that I had here, also from ECW, Barely Legal, Terry Funk, Stevie Richards, and The Sandman, a three-way dance. And then that, of course, turns into Terry Funk versus Raven in my next match for the ECW Championship. Moving on, we had Eddie Guerrero versus Rey Mysterio, Cruiserweight Championship, the uh, Mask versus Title Match, Halloween Havoc 97. Uh, then the co-main event, WrestleMania 13, Bret Hart versus Steve Austin, submissions only. And then to top it all off, WWF in your house, 18 bad blood Shawn michaels versus the undertaker in the very first hell in a cell blood and guts is where it's at for 1997 wow can't go wrong with either one of these pay-per-views that we made up just quality matches all around all from 1997 which you know for my for my dollar that's when some of the really that was like the pinnacle of wrestling was just that that late 90s period and it was just fantastic yep. stuff. So thanks a lot to everybody in our Facebook group and all the loyal listeners who wrote in, got a hold of us on social media, and suggested that we tackle the wrestling topic once again. So if there's something you guys want to hear, get a hold of us again. You can get a hold of us over at... Go ahead. Oh, you want me to say it? <laughs> at Facebook.com forward slash Dueling Decades and get in on the trivia. Like I said before, Facebook story every day. Get on the audio trivia that's on our feed and we give away prizes to this stuff. The last couple of weeks, we've had some great sponsors for the Culmination Trivias. Manscaped gave away an awesome package last week. This week, we had two big packages of stuff from Mill Creek Entertainment. Next week, we got New Wave Toys going out. Get in on this shit. It's fun, too. All right, and if you've missed the past episode, you can always catch up over at DuelingDecades.com, where you can subscribe to all of our past episodes on iTunes and, of course, over on CastBox. So until next time, duelers, we're going to bid you a peace, love, light, and a joy. Have a grateful week, everyone. Infirmary Media.